Hello and welcome to uh, Infinite Cast Part Two, Inherent Cast Part Eleven. Eleven, something like that. Yeah. Hello, welcome. We are here. We are here. We are in. We are in here. We are. We are in the in the stew, ready to read more. Uh, huge. First of all, just some some great uh, you know, Infinite Cast style listening. We of course now I'm locked out of the uh Infinite Cast email box yes, uh, I because I entered today. too many bad passwords. Uh, but uh, a listener uh made a movie and put a like an Infinite Jest uh Easter egg in a Chiron, which that's amazing. Yes. What D- director of the uh new-ish film um don't worry, I'm from the future. Yes. Uh, starring Reese Darby uh, mentioned on Twitter. Somebody asked, like, hey, what's the deal with the news Chiron th- about that giant roving, feral babies? roving band of mutant hamsters. This is Lu- Luke Higginson made the movie. Uh, shout out Luke Higginson. That's fucking cool. Yes. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if uh, you're still listening to this since we switched uh, to the Pinchon. To the Pinchon. Pinchon. Uh, uh, but... Some something from this dumb project making its way into physical reality, or I guess media reality, is um, you know, it's 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 good. Well, <laughs> it's it's not, we can't even cool. really we can't even really take credit for it because it's David Foster Wallace's joke. But we we are the the the, the media con- the, of transmission. Yeah, yeah, it's all about transmitting. You know. Yes. Uh, yeah. Sick. We are the cartridge that you uh, received it from. Hey, what is a podcast if not a cartridge of a sort? An audio cartridge. An audio cartridge. Uh, D- Dan Foster Wallace failed to uh, realize the the audio boom uh, that would yes. uh, occur uh, with the you know the realization that uh, serialized uh, crime shows are interesting to hear while you're doing the dishes. R.I.P. David Foster Wallace. You would have loved podcasts. Would he? <laughs> I probably, probably listen to NPR. He was probably podcasting before yeah, all. Yeah, it would the be. Pod. God. See, look, I don't want to take. It'd be too moralistic about about things, but this is why you shouldn't kill yourself because there's so many more amazing, horrifying things that he could have <laughs> been amazed and horrified we by. We keep inventing new things all the time. Uh, as is it, is that the Dasha line? <laughs> we can't say it. We on can't air. say it. Don't don't kill yourself. Something redacted might happen. <laughs> <laughs> all right, shall we yes. read? Let's read. Uh, it's it, it, yeah. Let's let's do it. Uh, chapter eight. The bank deposit from slow. Uh, ooh, typo. Oh wait, no, never mind. Ne- never mind. <laughs> I thought it was a typo. I was getting all excited. The bank deposit form Sloan Wolfman had given Doc was from Arbolata Savings and Loan in Ojai. This, according to Aunt Reet, was one of many SNLs Mickey held a controlling interest in. And their customers. How would you describe them? Mostly individual homeowners. What we in the profession refer to as suckers. Replied, <laughs> <laughs> replied Aunt Reed. And the loans, anything out of the ordinary? Ranchers, local contractors, maybe some Rosicrucians and Theosophists now and then? Rosicrucians! Yeah. That is a, uh, the Rosicrucians are, of course, a uh, character of interest in uh, Hell on Earth. Mm. Um, a uh, group dedicated to the idea that there is a, uh, a secret society of learned wise men who will, are about to reveal themselves onto Europe and, and give their teachings on to create a new paradise on earth and why shouldn't they uh now now and then oh and of course there's chris skylodon who've been doing a heap of building and landscaping and tacky but expensive interior design lately 
As if his head was a 3D gong just, <laughs> just struck by a small hammer, Doc recalled the blurry foreign word in the photo of Sloane he had seen at her house. How do you spell that and what is it? Got one of their brochures someplace on this desk down around the Precambrian layer, as I recall. Aha, here. Located in the scenic Ojai Valley, Chryskylodon Institute, from an ancient Indian word meaning serenity, provides silence, harmony with the earth, and unconditional compassion for those emotionally at risk owing to the unprecedented stressfulness of life in the 60s and 70s. <laughs> sure sounds like a high-rent loony bin, don't it? The pictures don't tell you much. Everything's been shot with grease on the lens like some girly magazine. There's a phone number here. Doc copied it, and she added, Call your mother, by the way. Oh, shit. Something happened? You didn't call for a week and a half is what happened. Work. Well, the latest is, is they think you're a dope dealer now. The impression I get, I should say. Right. Well, seeing Gilroy's the one with the life, operations manager for whatever, grandkids and acreage and so forth, stands to reason, don't it? I should be the one with the narcs breathing down my neck. Preaching to the choir, Doc. I wanted out of that place before I could talk. They'd catch me pedaling a mile a minute on my little pink trike heading out through the beet fields and drag me back screaming. Nothing you can tell me about the San Joaquin, kid. Then again, Elmina says she misses your voice. I'll call her. She also agrees with me. You should look at that two-acre piece out in Pacoima. Not me, man. Still on the market, Doc. And like we say in the business, get a lot while you're young. Leo Sportello and Elmina Breeze had met up in 1934 at the world's largest outdoor rummy game held annually <laughs> <laughs> held annually in Re Repon. Uh, Leo, reaching for one of her discards, said something like, now you're sure you don't want that? And as Elmina told it, the minute she looked up from her cards and into his eyes, she was sure as salvation about what she did want. She was still living at home then, student teaching, and Leo had a good job at one of the wineries known for a fortified product marketed up and down the coast as Midnight Special. Every time Leo so much as put his head in the door, Elmina's father would go into a W.C. Fields <laughs> routine. Ah, the wino's friend, yes. <laughs> Leo began to make a point of bringing some over whenever he came to pick up Elmina for a date, and before long, his future father-in-law was buying the stuff by the case using Leo's company discount. The first wine Doc ever drank was Midnight Special, part of Grandpa Breeze's concept of babysitting. <laughs> Doc was home watching division semifinals between the 76ers and Milwaukee, mainly for Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, whom Doc had admired since he was Lou Alcindor, when right in the middle of a fast break, he became aware of a voice down in the street calling his name. For a minute, he flashed that it was Aunt Reet, secretly resolved to sell his place out from under him, showing it at this inappropriate hour to some flatland couple especially selected for their pain-in-the-ass qualities. By the time he got to the window to have a look, he dug how he'd been fooled by a similarity of voices, and it was actually his mother, Elmina, in the street, somehow in deep discussion with downstairs Eddie. She looked up, saw Doc, and started waving cheerfully. Larry! Larry! <laughs> Behind her, I'm going to have to do... What, what, what would you say a uh, Californian born in 1934's voice would be? Not born. They met the... They met in California. So Give her an Okie accent, maybe? Yeah. Larry, la Larry, Larry. Uh, what, what is an Okie accent? Yeah. I, uh, pff, who knows? Everybody from that era talk, 
had the uh the fake mid-atlantic accent. yeah i'm just gonna make her sound like a uh yeah, you know a screwball actress uh behind her was a double parked 1969 oldsmobile and doc could dimly make out his father leo leaning out the window an inexpensive cigar clamped in his teeth uh pulsing bright to dim and back again doc was now imagining himself at the rail of a long ago ocean liner sailing out of san pedro ideally for hawaii but santa monica would do and he waved back Ma, Dad, come on up. He went running around opening windows and cranking up the electric fan, though the odor <laughs> of marijuana smoke having long uh, ago, having long found its way into the rug, the couch, the velvet painting, was years too late to even worry about. Where do I park this? Leo hollered up. Good question. The kindest thing anybody would ever called the parking in Gordita Beach was non-linear. The regulations changed unpredictably from one block, often one space, to the next, having been devised secretly by fiendish anarchists to infuriate drivers into one day forming a mob and attacking the offices of town government. Be right down, said Doc. Will you look at that hair? Elmina greeted him. Soon as I can get to a mirror, Ma, <laughs> by which time she was in his arms, not all that put out by being hugged and kissed in public by a long-haired hippie freak. <laughs> Hi, Dad, Doc slid into the front seat. There's probably something down on Beachfront Drive. Just hope we don't have to go halfway to Redondo to find it. Meantime, downstairs Eddie was going, wow, so this is your folks, far out, and so forth. You boys go park, said Elmina. Far out. Far I, feel out. Like, I feel like far out could make a comeback. I want to bring back giving people a peace sign. I've been giving people peace signs. What kind of people? Just as a uh, as a, a wave off. Yeah. I think I need to, to give peace. I kind of want to do it like passing people on the street. Peace out. Because no one, I don't know if you noticed, but like in LA, if you make eye contact on the sidewalk, people act like you're going to kill them. <laughs> Well, people are not used to walking. Yeah, here. versus I'm from the soup, you know. Yes, people soup. Far out, man. Far out, man. I'm gonna uh, try try to put that in the lexicon. Let's try to use it in a yeah. sentence today. Uh, you boy, uh, you boys go park," said Almina. "I'll just hang out with Larry's neighbor here." Doors open upstairs. Doc quickly reviewing what he knew of Eddie's rap sheet, including the hearsay. Just don't get in any kitchens with this guy. You should be all right. <laughs> that was back in '67. Eddie protested. All those charges got dropped. My, said Elmina. Of course, no more than five minutes later, having lucked into a spot just down the hill, good until at least midnight, Doc and Leo returned to find Eddie and Elmina in the kitchen, and Eddie just about to open the last box of brownie mix. <laughs> ah, 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 Doc wagging his finger. There were beers and half a bag of Cheetos, and Surfside Slick's deli up the hill was open till midnight for whatever they'd be running out of. How, when were Cheetos invented? Uh, this, if this were the internet radio show Time Crisis, I would ask, ask for a number crunch from Seinfeld 2000, but alas, it's not that show. <laughs> uh, put, it, put it in your pocket. We'll think about it later. Yes. All right. Well, I'll look them up and I'll, I'll give you a... Uh, Cheetos, Cheetos, Cheetos. Cheetos. Elmina wasted no time in bringing up the subject of Shasta Faye, whom she'd met once and taken to right away. I always hoped, oh, you know, <laughs> leave the kid be, muttered Leo. Doc was aware of downstairs Eddie, who'd once upon a time had to listen to it all through his ceiling, throwing him a look. She had her career, Elmina continued. It's hard, but sometimes you have to let a girl go where her dreams are calling her. There did used to be Hepworths over by Manteca, you know, and a couple of them moved down here during the war to work in the defense plants. She could be related. If I see her, I'll ask, Doc said. 
There were footfalls up the back steps, and Scott Oof came in by way of the kitchen. <laughs> I forgot about Scott Oof. Yeah. Uh, the cousin. Hi, Uncle Leo, Aunt Elmina. Mom said you'd be driving down. We missed you at supper, Elmina said. Had to go see about a gig. You'll be here for a while, right? Leo and Elmina were staying up on Sepulveda at the Skyhook Lodge, which did a lot of airport business and was populated day and night with the insomniac, the stranded and deserted, not to mention an occasional certified zombie. (laughs) Wandering all up and down the halls, said Elmina. Men in business suits, women in evening gowns, people in their underwear, or sometimes nothing at all. Toddlers staggering around looking for their parents, drunks, drug addicts, police, ambulance technicians, so many room service carts that get into traffic jams. Who needs to get into the car and go anyplace? The whole city of Los Angeles is right there five minutes from the airport. (laughs) How's the television? Downstairs, Eddie wanted to know. The film library is on some of these channels, Elmina said. I swear. There was one on last night. I couldn't sleep. After I saw it, I was afraid to sleep. Have you seen Black Narcissus, 1947? Eddie, who was enrolled in the graduate film program at SC, let out a scream of recognition. He'd been working on his doctoral dissertation, deadpan to demonic, subtextual uses of eyeliner in the cinema, and had just in fact arrived at the moment in Black Narcissus, where Kathleen Byron, as a demented nun, shows up in civilian gear, including eye makeup good for a year's worth of nightmares. This is getting a, a JOI core right here. We should watch Black Narcissus. That's Never been seen on my it. watch list for a long time. As a reader of uh, uh, high fashion magazines, uh, that that gets referenced as an inspiration for a designer's show about once every two years. Black uh, Narcissus? Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I think that that is one of those um, I- uh, st- staple yeah. icons that hip people uh, steal from. Yes. Uh, you know. <laughs> every other, every other year, I'm trying to I'm trying to go for something original, but kind of a black narcissist feel. <laughs> well, I hope you'll be including some men. Elmina said, "All those German silence, Conrad Veidt and Caligari, uh, Klein Raga and and Metropolis." <laughs> <laughs> this bit of people being hidden like film buffs is funny because yes. they did remember the conversation between Doc and Sloan where they started talking about the the uh, female DP that like lit her house. Oh yeah. Anyway, no, that's the the Chinese the the Chinese DP, right? Oh yeah. Yes. Um, who shot Sweet Smell of Success? Yes. Ah. Wow. Uh, complicated, of course, by the demands of orthochromatic film stock. Oh, boy. Doc went out to search through the kitchen, having dimly recalled an unopened case of beer that might be there. Soon, Leo put his head in. I know it has to be someplace, Doc puzzled out loud. Maybe you can tell me if this is normal, Leo said. We got a weird phone call at the motel last night. Somebody on the other end starts screaming. At first, I figure it's Chinese. I can't understand a word. Finally, I can just make out. We know where you are. Watch your ass. And they hang up. Doc was having those rectal throbs. What name are you guys checked in under? Our usual one, but Leo was blushing. Dad, it could be important. Okay, but try to understand. It's this habit your mother and I have sort of fallen into of staying at different motels up and down old 99 on weekends under fake names. We pretend we're married to other people and having an illicit rendezvous. I won't try to kid you. It's a lot of fun. Like those hippies say, whatever turns you on, right? So the front desk doesn't really have you down as any kind of sportello. Leo gave him one of those hesitant smiles that fathers use to deflect the disapproval of sons. 
I like to use Frank Chambers. You know, from The Postman Always Rings Twice. <laughs> Your mother uses Cora Smith, if anybody asks. But for Christ's sake, don't tell her I told you that. So it was a wrong number. Doc saw the case of beer out in front of his face all this time. He put some cans in the freezer, hoping he'd remember he'd done this and that nothing would explode like it usually did. <laughs> well, Dad, I'm really shocked at you two. What, <laughs> what fake name would you check into a motel under? <laughs> the, the Grinch. <laughs> what would you do? Margaret Grinch. Margaret Marge. What about Marge Simpson? Uh, no, that's too obvious. I mean, my first go-to is uh, one of the classic 19th century American uh, history political names like Theophilus Fisk or Thurlow Weed. Can but you I even think check it? Can you check in in a fake name anymore? No, if you, probably if you not. Pay cash, you show, the first thing you do when you check into a hotel, show an ID. Ugh, this, Motel, these are the things. Motels. That, these are the things they took from us. I think there are still in motels. Our hyper, our hyper surveillance society where you have to show an ID to Ugh, get a hotel whoa. room. What hap- ever happened to to um, walking up to a hotel and saying, "Yes, my name is uh, Jackson Weathersby, <laughs> and I would like a room for one night. Here is two hundred dollars in cash." <laughs> I don't know. It's you know how um, I feel like it's really common for uh, like uh, young young chicks, like girls in college, to make up fake names when they talk to men at bars. Yes, it literally never occurred to me to do that, and I would be I wouldn't know where to start. How am I supposed to lie? I'm way I'm way more interesting than some fake chick. <laughs> Say that I'm in med school or something. <laughs> Fuck off. I, I, I find that weakness. For, I, my, my name is uh, uh, Peggy O'Neill, and I'm so, uh, studying for my secretarial certification. <laughs> just, just pretend. If you're going to do it, I guess you have to be like, I'm a time traveler. Yes, exactly. Uh, anyway. I'm, I'm, wor- I'm working at the pegboard at, was, the, at, at Ma Bell. I just always <laughs> thought that was so boring, like uh, Ma, Ma Bell. <laughs> Like, ooh, fake, fake identity when you're... If you want to flirt with men, you ha- be be you. Yes. Do you want anything to happen? Don't be. <laughs> don't play with these people. My name... Uh, hey, hey, babe, how's it going? What's your, what's your name? My name is uh, Hillary Clinton. Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> I'm running for president, and I would appreciate your vote. <laughs> check check out my policies at Hillary.com. Yes. Uh, you, honestly, Doc Sportello would be a, a Doc Sportello or Shasta Fay. How about Doc? Wonder if I started going by Doc Wade. <laughs> you, it would take a lot of effort, yeah. uh, but not. I, I like the idea. I like anybody it. who listens to this start referring to me as Doc hey, online. Hey Doc, what about Boss? Boss Boss Wade. Boss Wade. Well, yeah. I, I feel like I would have to be in charge of some kind of large system, a system even larger than than the podcasting network. That hey, I, it's there's something to strive for there. Yes, Boss Wade. Boss Wade. Um. I could be D- Dame O'Brien, maybe. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, so, okay. Uh, well, Dad, I'm really shocked at you two. He embraced Leo and held it for almost long enough to be embarrassing. What's this? Leo said. You're laughing at us. No, no. I'm laughing because I, I like to use that name. Ha. <laughs> huh, you must get that from me. Later, though, around 3 a.m., for one of those desolate hours, <laughs> Doc had forgotten his feelings of relief and only remembered how scared he'd been. Why had he automatically assumed there was something out there that could find his parents so easily and put them in danger? Mostly in these cases, the answer was, you're being paranoid. But in the business, paranoia was a tool of the trade. It pointed you in directions you might not have seen to go. There were messages from beyond, if not madness, at least a shitload of unkind motivation. And where did that mean this Chinese voice in the middle of the night, whatever that might be, whenever that might be at the Skyhook Lodge, was telling him to look? 
Next morning, waiting for the coffee to percolate, Doc happened to glance out the window and saw Sancho Smilax down in his classic beach town ride, a maroon 289 Mustang with a black vinyl interior and a low, slow throb to its exhaust, trying not to block up the alley. Sanch, come on up, have some coffee. Sancho took the stairs two at a time and stood panting in the doorway, holding a briefcase. Didn't know if you were up. Me neither. What's happening? Sancho had been out all day and night with a posse of federales aboard a garishly over-equipped vessel belonging to the Justice Department, visiting a site previously identified as the spot where the Golden Fang was supposed to have left some kind of Lagan? L-A-G-A-N? Lagan? Lagan? Divers went down to have a look, and as the light shifted over the ocean, presently were bringing up one connex after another full of shrink-wrap bundles of U.S. currency. Maybe the same ones Cookie and Joaquin, on behalf of Blondie-san, might still be out after. Except that upon opening the containers, imagine how surprised everybody was to find that, instead of the usual dignitaries, Washington, Lincoln, Franklin, and whoever, all of these bills, no matter which denomination, seemed to have Nixon's face on them. For an instant, a federal... We should have a bill with Nixon's face on it. What What is the best bill for Nixon? Uh, I think he... Grant's on the 50. Grant is a... Who's on the $2 bill? That would be Jefferson. F- fuck Jefferson. Take th- him off. How about a $7 bill with Nixon on it? <laughs> it's got to be tricky. A tricky, honestly, a tricky bill. Honestly, take Jackson off the 20. Don't replace him with Harriet Tubman like people want. Replace him with Nixon. Wow. Uh, an unpopular opinion. I to replace one bad man who at least didn't commit Indian genocide with another bad man who who's at least more interesting in his evil. Sure. For an instant, a federal joint task force wa- paused to wonder if they might not, after all, the whole boatload of them be jointly hallucinating. Nixon was staring wildly at something just out of sight past the edge of the cartouche, almost cringing out of its way, his eyes strangely unfocused, as if he had himself been abusing some novel Asian psychedelic. According to intelligence contacts of Sancho's, it had been common CIA practice for a while to put Nixon's face on phony North Vietnamese bills <laughs> as part of a scheme to destabilize the enemy currency by airdropping millions of these fakes during routine bombing raids over the North. But Nixonizing U.S. currency this way was not as easily explained, nor sometimes even appreciated. What's this? The CIA's done it again. This shit is worthless. You don't want it? I'll take it. What are you going to do with it? Spend a bundle of it before anybody begins to notice. Some thought it was a plot by Chinese communist pranksters to mess with the U.S. dollar. The engraving work was too exquisite not to have some fiendish oriental provenance. That's all capitalized. This is the plot of Rush Hour 2. Yeah. According to others, it might have been circulating a script for a while now through Southeast Asia and even somehow be negotiable stateside. And let's not forget its value on the collector's market. Bit too weird for me, I'm afraid. And dig, said Sancho later to Doc. The, do- the law says that before you can get your picture on U.S. currency, you have to be dead. So in any universe where this stuff is legal tender, Nixon would have to be dead, right? So what I think it is, is it's sympathetic magic by somebody who wants to see Nixon <laughs> among the departed. That sure narrows it down, Sanch. Can I have some of this? Hey, take whatever. Go on a shopping spree. See these shoes I've got on? Remember those white loafers that Dr. No wears in Dr. No, 1962? <laughs> yes, dig it. Same identical ones. Bought them on Hollywood Boulevard with one of those Nixon 20s. Nobody examined it. Nothing. It's amazing. Hey, my soap's almost on. Do you uh mind? He headed for the tube without delay. Sancho was a devoted viewer of the daytime drama The Way to His Heart. 
This week, as he updated Doc during lulls, Heather has just confided to Iris her suspicions about the meatloaf, including Julian's role in switching the contents of the Tabasco bottle. Iris isn't too surprised, of course, having for the duration of her own marriage to Julian taken turns in the kitchen so that there remain between these bickering exes literally hundreds of culinary scores yet to be settled. Meanwhile, Vicky and Steven are still discussing who owes who $5 from a pizza delivery weeks ago <laughs> in which the dog, Eugene, somehow figures as a key element. Doc was in the toilet pissing during a commercial break when he heard Sancho screaming at the television set. He got back to find his attorney just withdrawing his nose from the screen. Everything cool? Ah, collapsing on the couch. Charlie the fucking tuna, man. What? It's all supposed to be so innocent. Upperly mobile snob, designer shades, beret. So desperate to show he's got good taste. Except he's also dyslexic, so he gets good taste mixed up with taste good. But it's worse (laughs) than that. Far, far worse. Charlie really has this, like, obsessive death wish. Yes, yes, he wants to be caught, processed, put in a can. Not just any can, you dig? It has to be Starkist. Suicidal brand loyalty, man. Deep parable of consumer capitalism. (laughs) They won't be happy with anything less than drift netting us all, chopping us up and stacking us on the shelves of supermarket America. And subconsciously, the horrible thing is, is we want them to do it. Sanch, wow, that's... It's been on my mind. And another thing, why is there chicken of the sea, but no tuna of the farm? <laughs> I think chick- chicken is the tuna of the farm. Um, Doc actually beginning to think about this. And don't forget, Sancho went on to remind him darkly, that Charles Manson and the Viet Cong are also named Charlie. When the show was over, Sancho said, So you, how you doing, Doc? Going to be arrested again or anything? <laughs> With Bigfoot on my tail now, I could be calling you any minute. Oh, I almost forgot. The Golden Fang? It seems there was an ocean machine, uh, an ocean marine insurance policy taken out on her just before she uh, singled up all lines, covering this one only voyage only, the one your ex old lady supposed to be on, and the beneficiary is listed as Golden Fang Enterprises of Beverly Hills. If the boat sinks, they collect a lot of money? Exactly. Uh, uh-huh. What if it was a deliberate insurance hustle? Maybe Shasta could still get ashore in time, onto some island where maybe even now she'd be pulling small perfect fish out of the lagoon and cooking them with mangoes and hot peppers and shredded coconut. Maybe she was sleeping out on the beach and looking at stars nobody here under the smog-lit L.A. sky even knew existed. Maybe she was learning to sail island to island on an outrigger canoe to read the currents and the winds and how to sense magnetic fields like a bird. Maybe the golden fang had sailed on to his fate, gathering those who hadn't found their way to shore deeper into whatever complications of evil, indifference, abuse, despair they needed to become even more themselves, whoever they were. Maybe had, maybe Shasta had escaped all that. Maybe she was safe. What's our time? I think that's a good place to stop. We're at 26 minutes. Wonderful. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to blow into the microphone. It's uh, fine. Uh, chick- why is there no... Uh, tuna of the farm. This was a a joke I thought about when I was a kid, and when you know the sig- the signifiers and the signifieds were getting all mixed up, I too thought about the tuna of the farm. The tuna of the farm. It would have to be canned chicken though, which is a thing. Yes, canned shredded chicken. Tuna of the farm. Tuna of the farm. Um, I, I was just recalling this great Hessa. 
Someone's lawn. Someone's lawn. Uh, this great uh, Hessa tweet. Yeah. I love Pynchon because he'll have a really serious chapter about some serious shit happening and then be like, also, there was a guy there named Sprite Zero. Sprite Zero. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yes. Um, Spr- uh, that that just reminds me of the My Brother, My Brother and Me joke uh, where your, your teen name is your favorite soda and your least favorite soda. <laughs> I'm Sprite Pepsi and I'm abstinence till I die. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway. Um, uh uh, should we? Should I do the um, the recap? The recap? Uh, yeah, I will just say that the that I found Doc's relationship with his parents very sweet. It is very sweet. Yeah. I love that they come over like at night. Yes. I don't know what time it was supposed to be, but I feel like they. Yes, uh, not what I was expecting from him and his parents. There, they seem down with his whole thing. Yeah, I mean, it's because you know why? It's because they're California people. Yes. California means uh, you know, an inherent uh, vice. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, the it do be like that. It do be like that. Living in California is the inherent vice. Yes, you've you've committed to a certain hedonism of statehood. Yes, the the golden state, but not all that glitters is golden. Yes, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I could go for some Nixon money. Yes, I I I'm really enamored with the idea of Nixon on one of the bills. I think it's too true to not happen. All right, let me try to steer through this as quick as possible while flipping through the book to remind myself. Yes. Shasta comes to Doc with with the problem of her her boyfriend and her uh her wife's boyfriend her boyfriend's wife. Uh, <sighs> then she disappears. Then he uh Tariq Khalil gets him to look into Glenn Sharlock. He is looking into Glenn Sharlock at Mickey Wolfman's property at Channel View Estates. He gets bonked on the head. Uh, he wakes up to Bigfoot. Bigfoot's like, "You did this." He's like, "No, I didn't." Uh, then they, there's a a bit of a detente, a back and forth. Uh, Sancho, which who I don't think we've seen since he got him out of jail. Yes. Um, maybe once. Uh, get gets him out of there, so we see the return of of Sanch. Uh, then uh, Hope Harlingen hires him and says that she doesn't think that her husband Coy actually OD'd. Then uh, what happens? He checks it. He checks on um, uh, his old uh repo man people yes. who are now into computers. Uh, yes. Fritz. Uh. Then he goes to see Sloan Wolfman to try to find out what Laughing Factory uh, they sent uh, Mickey Wolfman to. Wonderful. Bigfoot is is also there and a bunch of cops and it's like, what is going on here? Also, at that one point, he called uh, the other LAPD guy who hates Bigfoot and was inquiring into the Coy Harlingen thing. Wonderful. Then he sees Penny Kimball, his his, mm, intermittent flame. Yeah, who's the Uh, Penny starts asking him about all the dog, uh, about all the Mickey Wolfman stuff, the Shasta stuff, and then uh, punts him to the FBI, yes. where he gets uh, softly inquired. Then he goes to meet his uh, steward eye, Lourdes and Motella, at Club Asiatique, uh, to just to hang out and also find out why the Federales are interested in um, Cookie and Joaquin, their uh, uh, boyfriends. Yes, and then it's revealed that these are Vietnam vets who are possibly doing some cash smuggling. Yes, maybe. Uh, uh, for Blondie Son. What we now understand to be Nixon 20s. Coy Harlingen emerges from the uh, emerges from the darkness to yes. be, in fact, still alive and living with the boards and they don't know who he is. Uh, people are strange when you're a stranger. Do, 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 do. The do, Admiral's do, do. Luau. Uh, then he, we get a little bit more into the history of the Golden Fang. Yes. Uh, which, uh, who helps him with the Golden Fang? Sancho. Yes. Uh, when they're getting the Admiral's Luau at the uh, uh, yuppie, um, 
uh, seafood restaurant. Yes, exactly. Uh, the Golden Fang, mystery vessel, maybe a CIA kind of vibe. Uh, he goes back to Fritz at the computer room and tries to get a little more information about that. Joints are smoked. Uh, a little bit about surfing. Uh, more about surfing. Who wipe out? Uh, blah, blah, blah. He hangs out with uh, Sort of Liege again and her boyfriend Spike. Another uh, Vietnam vet. Yes. Uh, then he goes and sees Vahey, sort of Lige's guru, takes some acid uh, and is trying to find Shasta through the acid trip. Uh, then beep, beep, beep. Then we get to our current, current day, chapter, his which is visit. that um, he's trying to dig a little bit more into where Sloan might have sent Mickey and he sees his parents and Sancho uh, gives him some more information about the Golden Fang. Great. You didn't even mention the surf rock band. The boards. The boards. Yeah, I didn't mention oh, the oh, boards. Oh, yes. I mentioned the boards. That's my surf rock. Are those guitar runs meant to mimic the the sound of going underwater? We saw Aquaman last night. We did see Aquaman in 40X. We got our shit rocked by the the forty x uh, seats. Unfortunately, I I did a little too much headbanging at the new metal Christmas party holiday party, and so I was already coming into it with a sore neck, and then I was really getting jostled around. I found that I needed to use my core strength to stay stabilized <laughs> during the forty x, which is not really how you usually want to experience a movie. Yes, I, I was hyper concentrating on my bucket of popcorn and having it not fly everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Like in that thing. Yes, like in the the AMC intro. Um, anything anything about uh, you know, any of this? Have, having your parents visit is uh, very it's stressful. It's always very stressful. In this holiday season, thinking about your parents visiting is always very stressful. But this seems like a pretty chill thing. I mean, it's interesting. It doesn't seem like he's doing... It seems like this could have been... It could be a vector for, like, you know, intergenerational commentary on, like, what's going on with... People Doc's age versus his his parents. I mean the the the, w- w- the largest outdoor r- rummy rummy game <laughs> rummy game. Yeah. Uh, but it seems like they're mostly down with what's going on in yes. the culture. And of course, if they were born in 1934, I think I believe they met 1934. Uh, so met nineteen forty. Okay, so so they're probably born in like the teens. What what year? Doc is basically. I think we've determined he's twenty nine, turning thirty. Yes. So 1970 subtract uh, 29 is what? It's like 41. 41? Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Okay, so he's born in 41. So he's a, he's a that does that make him a boom I thought boomer was after the world war ended. Yes, it is. He would he'd be a little older than that. I feel like the the hard start date for boomers is the world is World War 2 ending, so like yeah. 45. And so his parents are probably in their early 20s, meaning they were born in uh you know the late the late teens or yes. um or early, early 20s. 20s something like that. So I feel I feel like the the mapping of the demographic here would be people who move either moved to California or were born in California or like first generation Californians. Yeah, it, you know, in order to get like you know, out of out of the dust, mm-hmm. uh, probably not experiencing the Great Depression in the same way as people from the Midwest or yes. uh, South South. Uh, uh, you know, that that's where everyone wanted to go to California at that time. Yes, wasn't that the whole thing? Yeah, but California was not so hot either. That's also when the Epic Campaign was going on. Yes, and poverty in California. You yeah. Know? 
Right. Not great for anybody, sure. But at least California was the place to go to try your luck elsewhere. Yeah, to roll the dice. So you're kind of, I don't know, you're sort of born born under a better sign, I think, than some people might be. Yes, born under a bad sign with a blue moon in your eye. Born under a bad sign. Uh, well, so I don't know. It's like, I feel like they're, and also I think the other po- important thing to note in this is that he clearly has, a, he has a square brother. Yes. So he, who has children and land and works in, uh, he's an operations manager. So like he, you can, I find that you can get away with being a, a blacker sheep if there's a whiter sheep already yes. there. Uh, well, it, it is funny. Which is I why mean, it's important again, to have fa- as many kids as you possibly can. Uh, this is an experience I'm not familiar with, uh, i.e. having siblings. But it yeah. does seem like if there is one normal one, it, it, the parents have this unspoken sense of like, w- well, we've got, like, one made it, so the spare can do whatever he or she wants. Yeah. Yeah. The heir and the spare. The heir and the spare, of course. And that, I think that even though you're not talking about it, like, necessarily inheriting things, I think in, in parent mentality, it... uh. It, it it does go a long way to help to be like, well, one of them's got it figured out. Yeah. It, it's it's sort of medieval mentality where it's like, I need to have as many as possible so that even if a few, you know, go go off the uh the farm, at least someone will help me. Um help me help me pick the beats, I guess. Okay, so that that gives a little more uh Aunt Reet was talking about trying to leave home by pedaling her trike through the beet fields. Yes. So these are maybe agricultural people. Beet, beet farmers. Yeah. Uh, another the Hessa follow up tweet. Yeah. Other people reading Pynchon. This book is amazing. These two characters are discussing the devastating discussing the devastating long term effects of mustard gas exposure on the human body. Me reading the same part. Yo, Venison Jamf and Doctor Rice Fantastico linked up and need to keep it. <laughs> Doctor Rice Fantastico. Doctor Rice Fantastico and Venison Jamf. Venison Jamf. I mean, no, no one is naming. I would say D- David Foster Wallace and 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 Thomas Pynchon are, are cousins of just great, great names. Yeah, great hyper specific. If names. you're writing fiction, like the name, you gotta why slay not just on the come names. up with a great name? Uh, what is it? Oof, what? Scott, Scott Oof. Oof. Uh, downstairs, Eddie. Uh, Sancho Smilax. Sancho Smilax. It's all good. Yes. Uh, also, to follow up on earlier, the Cheeto was invented in 1948. Which okay. is surprising to me that they would have that kind of flavor technology that early on. Do you think on. the dust was that? Do you think the dust slayed in the way that I would it love does? To, I would love to taste a 1948 Cheeto because I bet it tastes like shit, but still enough to make people go insane. But better than the other, better than a boiled yes. Brussels sprout, you know. I'm uh, gonna be li- I'm gonna be reading about chip history all day because it, the Frito Company, uh, uh, the initial success of Cheetos was a contributing factor to the merger between the Frito Company and the H W Lay Company. Mm-hmm. To form Frito Lay, yes, in 1961. Uh, you should honestly, you would like Time Crisis because a lot of stuff they do is just is like reading corporate chip food history. history. <laughs> um, for example, I learned a hot a hot fact from an old episode that I listened to recently. Where uh, did you know that Fritos spends no, no money on marketing? Really, but they still do like I think Billions maybe a billion dollars in, dollars in sales. sales a year because it's just like default default chip. corn chip. Well, you've never seen a Frito commercial. I've have never you? seen a Frito commercial. Isn't that interesting? Yes, it's fun. I I would love to. I'd kill to see like the internal metrics for things like that. Of like, you know, wh- who are the loss leaders? Yes. Wh- what are the uh, experimental flavors that that? Uh, oh, God, that I, I the, the one of the best tastes of 2023 was that one time I found a package of the new hot mustard Doritos, and I've never seen them again. 
Oh so God! Good. You have been haunted for the first several months we moved here. You were cr- trawling the aisles like a, a Miss Havisham, I, uh, w- with the taste of the lost chip in your mouth. See, every time we, I, I'm keeping my eyes open for it. Every time we are in a uh, a place that sells chips to look for the the hot mustard Cheeto, <laughs> and it eludes me. I <laughs> the think elusive it might, hot mustard. Cheeto. I think it might have been just like a one month only thing, but it was so good. Hot mustard Cheetos. Mm. Oh. <laughs> Mm. Uh, hot mustard cheeto hot mustard cheeto haunting chris with hot its mustard chip <laughs> hot mustard chip uh anything else uh i'm not sure if there's much else here uh i like that that the idea of going over to your homie's house to watch your soaps is very funny to me. Oh, yeah. I, I appreciate the attention to detail of, like, the ways that information and entertainment used to transfer. For example, most people probably wouldn't have access to just regular screenings of Black Narcissus. You have to be yeah, in a, wait for like a LAX hotel yeah. airport that has a really good movie channel. Yeah. You go over to your friends to watch the soaps because if you miss it, it's you miss it. You it's miss not going to yeah. be on. Uh, he gets the Chris Skeleton or whatever it's called phone number off a brochure from his aunt over the telephone. Yes. It just used to be, I mean, that's why I guess you needed detectives like him is a lot of detectiving is just information management. It is. At a time when information was not as easy to manage. We were talking about this in regards to DJing the other day. Yes. Uh, and how... Now anyone can DJ because you have instantaneous access to all music ever created by anyone. Yes. But even like 15 years ago, it was DJ to be a DJ would be a life commitment yes. of music collection. It's a vo- it's a vocation yes. more than it is a hobby. Yes. Uh, because it requires so much time, effort, money, and literal storage space. It's yeah. a labor of love because you are breaking your back, dragging a bunch of carts. Yes. Uh, uh, crates, not carts, uh, around with your fucking shit. That great scene in, um, or the great plot in the wonderful uh, movie Party Girl, yeah. where her roommate is a DJ, and I really appreciate that it really gets into the nitty gritty of what being an aspiring DJ in the mid '90s would be. And he has all his milk crates of records, and there's a scene where she Dewey decimalizes all his records. <laughs> Uh, and he freaks out because he's like, oh, no, I had them all how I wanted them. And she's like, no, no, no. Now you can like sort by genre and an artist and everything. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's just to be a DJ in the mid 90s would be to own 20 milk crates of records, you know, yeah, that you would have to protect. And you have to go life, find them and, and pr- drag yeah. them around everywhere. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's I mean, the that, proliferation we- of media ha- is great because you it gives access to everything, but it's also just like everything becomes meaningless. It, de- it devalues things, yeah. which I feel like we are at a un- unprecedented, pre- unprecedented precipice of especially wondering what music is worth. Because even the places like Bandcamp that yeah. uh, ac- you could say somewhat accurately valued music, which again is, I, I don't think it's perfect, uh, but Steve Jobs really slayed Boots the House down when he said that a song is 99 cents and an album is is nine ninety nine. Yes. Uh, access to everything devalues everything and now it's like well we care about music we like music we want music it costs money to make it it costs money to distribute it how 
where do we meet in the middle? Because no one no one wants to pay for it. Actually, you know what? I revised that. People do want to pay for I th- it. I think we got to make streaming illegal. I think we do too. I think honestly, and you know what is fucking ridiculous is that Spotify doesn't make any money. It is not a profitable company. It is yeah. burning investor capital. What are we doing here? It, it is. It, it is will a, find an end. It is essentially legalized piracy backed by venture capital. Not even legalized. It, it, it exists in a legal gray zone. It doesn't make money. It is. It is just turning millions of dollars of a Silicon Valley investor m- money into subsidized free music for everyone. Yes. And. Look, I love Spotify. It's great to just think of a song and be able to immediately play it and hear it. But that's not it's not real. It's not real. That's and I don't real. think it I don't think it has benefited any artists other than Drake and Taylor Swift. And I don't think it's benefited listeners because you don't have a relation like uh, this is what I keep banging on my head about is that music is made by people and music is listened to by people yes. and streaming would like you to forget that. Yeah. It they d- would like you to forget that artists are people and they would like you to forget that fans are people too. Uh, and it can, it is not sustainable and it will fail and I will stab and eat the heart of Daniel Eck. That's how you, that's his name, right? What is, what does Karl Marx say what does about he say? the, uh, the nature of capitalism? What? All that is solid will dissolve into air. And Damn. that is what you. He was spitting when he when he wrote that. Karl, Karl Marx was frequently spitting. He was spitting. Um, but that that is the nature of the, of <laughs> this thing of turning something real and visceral into yes. something that into essentially music. Music is turning real. music into music. That's what I that's what I keep screaming on. Music is real and music is social, and I I will not I will never shut up about it. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's what twenty twenty four is about. Is going to be about reminding people what what music is. Uh, it's our, people hanging out. Uh, in an apartment making surf rock yes and smoking weed and surfing yes all right our leaves are getting blown so we should probably <laughs> okay all, all right. right uh ha- happy christmas and merry hanukkah and all that stuff yes. have a happy and a merry happy chris solstice chris, chris we- Ka- what is the, the chris skyladon happy chris skyladon to all who <laughs> celebrate serenity now serenity now bye bye